Welcome to CCFA Perspectives on ReachMD, providing Crohn's and colitis updates, driving innovation in IBD research, education, and clinical support. This series is produced in collaboration with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America. Hi, I'm Dr. Leanne Chen, Assistant Professor of Medicine at New York University, and we are at the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America's annual conference in Orlando. This is CCFA Perspectives, Crohn's and Colitis Updates on ReachMD. Joining me today to discuss complications of biologics to watch for is Dr. Gary Lichtenstein, Professor of Medicine at the Hospital at the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Lichtenstein, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you, Dr. Chen. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a terrific meeting we're at, and really a lot of exciting things have been presented here. Absolutely. Now, one of the topics that is of interest is biologics and complications of biologics. What are the top things that you look for in terms of complications regarding biologics? So we divide them into complications that patients have prior to the introduction of biologics and complications that can come about as a result of using biologics. And these are things that we look at. Before we start a biologic, we look to see, does a patient have any active infection in the bowel? So we might do something for someone with luminal Crohn's, check a C. diff, a culture, look for CMV, look for any type of abscess, such as a perirectal abscess. If needed, cross-sectional imaging would be appropriate to do. And then if that patient is appropriate, based on the lack of any confounding issues that might complicate immune suppression, then we might ensue the use of a biologic. Prior to doing so, we'll check things such as tuberculosis assessment, gamma release assay, we'll do a PPD chest x-ray, we'll check for hepatitis B, surface antigen core antibody, surface antibody is a routine to look to see. We might do a chest radiograph to see if there's any evidence of old granulomatous disease because they could reactivate disease. And those are some of the typical things we do. And then looking onward, we say, does a patient develop any infection, such as an opportunistic infection? We might prophylax certain patient populations against that in the event that they're on triple immune suppression. We might use something such as a sulfa or dapsone, depending on such prevention of pneumocystis durvecki. Additionally, we look to see on a semi-periodic basis, if you would, have they been exposed to TB in the future. We vaccinate patients, hep A, hep B. We look as well, vaccination for pneumococcal pneumonia, varicella when appropriate, Prior to the introduction of biologics for varicella, given it's a live vaccine, there's a new dead virus vaccine forthcoming in the next year. So this is something that will change the treatment paradigm we have. At least we'll be able to use this in patients that are actively on immune suppression with anti-TNF, anti-integrin, or anti-interleukin-1223 antagonists in treating their IBD. And then we also look for other things. Is there any evidence for potentials. Lymphoma is at a higher risk in some patients. The question is that an anti-TNF mediated, anti-integrin, anti-interleukin-1223 mediated event, or is it due to the anti-metabolites that they're on? And that's often the question that we have. Not well answered in the medical literature, if you would. Additionally, we'll look for other things as well to look to see are there any signs of multiple sclerosis, for example, for the anti-TNFs, optic neuritis, Congestive heart failure has been reported as well to be a higher probability, and particularly those individuals that have class 3, class 4, New York Heart Association, CHF, based on data from Chung that was published in circulation years ago, there was double the mortality, not statistically significant, but if you look at mortality, it doesn't have to be significant. So 
they're often not afraid of corticosteroids, but it's really steroids have double the mortality, double the severe infectious complication rate based on data I presented years ago in the treat registry. So it's often an unrecognized complication that can ensue from steroid use. And there are many other things we can see with corticosteroids, but they serve as a bridge. You use them acutely, you treat the patients that have active disease, active inflammation, and we always try to document active inflammation because if there's no inflammation, you're not going to treat effectively. And then those individuals that have that, we go ahead and we treat with the appropriate agent to treat their activity and hopefully get near complete mucosal healing or complete mucosal healing, which really will serve to lessen the risk for surgery or subsequent hospitalizations. If you're just tuning in, you are listening to CCFA Perspectives, Crohn's and Colitis Update on ReachMD at CCFA's annual meeting. I am Dr. Leanne Chen, and I'm speaking with Dr. Gary Lichtenstein, Professor of Medicine at the Hospital of University of Pennsylvania. Now, Dr. Lichtenstein, do you screen for latent TB annually in patients who are on maintenance anti-TNFs? So it's interesting. We just had a meeting to discuss this, and it's not something that's universally done, but as a routine, I'll do something such as a gamma release assay on patients annually. And if they're coming in for an infusion, we'll get it at the time of the infusion. If they're getting self-injectable medications, we'll try to remind them to do so, but sometimes patients forget and you have to entice them to say, we're going to hold the medication until we get it returned. There's no standardization across all physicians in the United States or in other countries, but it's not an unreasonable thing to do. One final question. Should patients on anti-TNFs have EBV screening given the risk of lymphoma? So that's not something that is standard practice. Many of the people in Europe have started looking at that, particularly in young males, when they're starting anti-metabolite therapy, azathioprine and 6MP in particular. If they've been exposed, there's reluctance to use things given EBV is thought to potentially be incorporated into the genome and lead to a higher risk of lymphoma. And we recognize it's the young males that have about double the risk of lymphoma compared to those of females. Under the age of 30, it's about a nine-fold risk for a male to develop lymphoma with anti-metabolite therapy directly. For people at the age of 30 to 59, it's about 2.8 standard incidence compared to the general population. And above 50 is the absolute highest risk. So they're really the absolute highest risk for lymphoma with azathioprine or 6-MP. It's one in 354 patient years of follow-up per lymphoma. Based on a recent meta-analysis, a consortium of us published from across the world about a year ago in clinical gastroenterology and hepatology. The use in anti-TNF therapy is not something that we recognize is standard of practice. It's an evolving area. And the risk of lymphoma, it should be recognized, is still very low. Your average person in the community has a 1 in 10,000 patient years of follow-up per lymphoma. But over the age of 50 using azathioprine, it's five years, 70 patients, one gets lymphoma. So it's a relatively small number of patients that need to be treated in an effort to get so. If you double the risk, or triple the risk, it's still two or three per 10,000 patient years of follow-up compared to the general population. Still very uncommon, and we've published data in a Markov model to look to say that this is a smart thing to do. There's quality-adjusted life years benefit to patients that use appropriate medical therapy to treat the disease despite the slight increase in risk. 
Well, many thanks to our guest, Dr. Gary Lichtenstein, for joining us today. I'm your host, Dr. Leanne Chen. To access this episode and others in this series and to download the ReachMD app, please visit ReachMD.com. We encourage you to leave comments and share this program with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. This has been CCFA Perspectives on ReachMD, produced in collaboration with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America. For access to this and other episodes, and to download the ReachMD app, visit ReachMD.com forward slash CCFA.